shit. This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Happy Friday. Happy to have you here on ESPN Des Moines. We will be getting to the coaching carousel. We will be getting to what happened last night on Thursday Night Football. Uh, we will be getting to what happened last night in the Cyhawk game between Iowa and Iowa State up at Hilton in Ames. But we got five weeks left in the NFL season, and nobody knows anything about, I'd say, the entire AFC. Joining me right now from uh, 610 Sports Radio down in Kansas City, guy who covers the Kansas City Chiefs, my good friend Carrington Harrison, leads us off. Carrington, appreciate the time, my friend. Tell me something that you're certain of about the AFC. I am certain the Chiefs will make the playoffs. Okay. That's about the only thing that I think you can be certain of in the AFC. It's funny because we were talking about this on my radio show a couple days ago. I think what we're doing with the AFC is something similar we do to the NCAA tournament, that we convince ourselves that, you know, there's 40 teams that can make the Final Four. Well, there's really like 15 that can make the Final Four. There's a lot of teams that can make it to the third round, but there's not a lot of teams that we think could win four consecutive games to get to the Final Four. I think the only teams in the AFC that can go to the Super Bowl are Kansas City, New England, and Buffalo. I don't think that Tennessee can, given their injuries. I don't think that Baltimore can, given their injuries. I don't think that Indianapolis can, given the fact that Carson Wentz is their quarterback. The Chargers are the Chargers. Anybody thinks they're going to win three straight games against playoff teams? And I, I actually like Cincinnati, but I think Cincinnati's probably a year, maybe two years away from taking that next step to being on that true number one tier in the NFL. So the AFC is very entertaining. It is very competitive on a week-by-week basis. But I think at this point in the season, as we're less than a month away from the start of the playoffs, we have to be realistic about who can actually go to the Super Bowl. Talking to Carrington Harrison, joining me from 610 Sports Radio out of Kansas City. Follow him on Twitter at c.harrison as the Chiefs have the Raiders this weekend. And, and what, you know, I, I'm sure you guys talk about this all the time, and it's, is there something wrong with Mahomes? Is there something wrong with the offense? Is there something wrong with Andy Reid? I'm just going to ask you, man, what is going on with Mahomes, the offense, and Andy Reid? That's a really good question. I mean, Wicked, you and I have both done this long enough. You know, there is some group of the fan base that's like, why does this matter? They're winning. And then there's the other group that's like, hold on. Well, they're averaging 19.6 points per game over the last six weeks, and Pittsburgh has scored more than Kansas City over the last eight weeks. So it's like, well, hold on. Like, nobody thinks Pittsburgh has a good offense, but they're scoring more points than the Kansas City Chiefs are. What I think is happening from a defensive perspective against Kansas City is teams aren't letting Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey have the success that they're used to, and they're daring anybody else on the Chiefs offense to step up, whether it's Darrell Williams or Clyde Edwards-Alaire or McCole Hardman, or you can name the other offensive skill position player that's not Hill or Kelsey. And I think what we're seeing is pretty consistently those guys aren't capable of maybe stepping up and meeting the challenge. If you look at the way that the Chiefs have scored this season and when they've had their most success, the last game against the Las Vegas Raiders, they scored 41 points. They had a, another 100-yard receiver in Darrell Williams. You look at the game against the Philadelphia Eagles, they scored 40 points. They had a 100-yard rusher in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. When they get just a third person to join the party, their offense looks like how it used to look. When they don't get that other person to show up, they haven't scored, or they've only scored more than 24 points one time in the last seven weeks. 
I got to give credit to my guy Paul Charchian, who runs uh, fantasy football leagues up out of Minneapolis. He he fed me this stat in the five games around that Vegas game, in the two cents and the three before. Take out the 400-yard, five-touchdown day. Mahomes is averaging 218 passing yards and .4 touchdowns. Is that in relation to what you're talking about, where nobody else is stepping up? Yeah, I do think that's what it is. I just think that what's happening now with Kansas City is it's really hard in the NFL to consistently go 9, 10, 11 play drives and score touchdowns. So what I think is happening with teams are they're now forcing Kansas City to kind of go brick by brick and just really kind of prod their way down the field. And a lot of the quick plays, explosive plays that we had got so used to with this offense, they're just not present with this team. Like, they just don't have that lightning quick, we can do it from anywhere on the field type offense the way that they did last season. This year it's been a lot more methodical in how they've had to attack defenses. You know, I was watching the, uh, the game against the Broncos last Sunday, and even the guys on TV were like, this is a more patient Patrick Mahomes. Did he have to learn how to do that? Did he not know how to be methodical, dink and dunk, up until this season? That's a good question. I would maybe equate it to Steph Curry, where I think Steph Curry actually takes a lot of bad shots, but we just don't really talk about it because he's the best shooter in the history of the world. So we only see the makes, right? Like we only see when he shoots it for 40 and turns around and shakes the guy in three, you know, and, and, uh, on the – on the floor, we only see that. We don't really see some of the other things that what I think has happened in how teams are defending Mahomes. I think that Rodgers or Brady or some of the elite quarterbacks, they just always complete the underneath stuff that the five yard and in and 10 yard are in. If you're going to give them those plays, they're going to be able to consistently replicate those plays. I think Mahomes, with just the way that he throws from different arm angles and the way that he throws across the side of his body, I mean, right now, you don't got to be an NFL quarterback. Go outside and run to your left and then try to throw the ball with your right hand across your body and see if you can consistently get the ball where you want it to go. It's just really hard to do, and Mahomes tries to do that five to seven times a game. So I would say maybe mechanically and fundamentally, Mahomes doesn't do things conventionally, and I think teams are kind of forcing him to do things more conventionally. Yeah, Carrington, I just kind of do that with crumpled pieces of paper trying to hit the wastebasket when I'm walking from one room to another, and I brick left and right. So I don't even need to go outside with a football. I'm just that <laughs> inaccurate. Uh, how much heat is Tyreek Hill taking these days for the dropsies? It seems to be more prevalent this year than in recent years. I wouldn't really call it heat. I think most Chiefs fans sort of feel hey, if we can eliminate the drops, this offense is back where it needs to be. Now, I don't think it's that simple. Like, I don't think the drops are that big of an issue, that that's the biggest reason why the offense isn't where the offense is. I'm not saying it hasn't contributed. There have probably been three to four plays this season where the ball has bounced off Tyreek Hill's hands, gone to the defense, and that sort of flipped the field for Kansas City. But it's not happening at an alarming pace where I think there's anything to really worry about. So I wouldn't say that there's heat on Tyreek. I think there's a pretty large portion of the fan base that has kind of come to the conclusion, hey, if we can eliminate the drops, if we eliminate the turnovers, we're right back where we want to be. And I also want to be clear, I mean, this team can still win the Super Bowl the way that they are right now. Now, I think it's really difficult to win a Super Bowl if you can't consistently score over 24 points, and that's sort of where the Chiefs are right now. But this 
with the way this defense is played right now, it gives you a chance to win any game against any team in the NFL, but it feels really weird to say that now you're asking the offense to meet where the defense is. The defense is playing, I think, right now at a top-five level, but they're eighth in total defense and scoring defense. Their offense right now is 13th in the league. If I had told you that the Chiefs' offense would be 13th in the league heading into Christmas time, you would have called me crazy. But that's where we are right now with this offense. Is, is there a more disappointing skill player? And, and I don't want to say in the league or in the division, but Nicole Hardman, this was his opportunity, wasn't it, to step up and be that number two, the, the, the next guy in line to catch passes and have a big year. It feels like Hardman's just been a tremendous disappointment with all the expectation coming out of camp. Yeah, uh, I, it's been really confusing and frustrating to see his role just greatly diminish here over the last three weeks. So Andy Reid on Monday said that they still have faith and trust in McCole Hardman. Like, obviously, he's going to say that. But I'm a big believer that snap counts don't lie. And the Chiefs have ran 201 offensive plays the last three weeks. He has only been on the field for 45 of those snaps. So they're putting him in the doghouse. You know, like, he's not a part of their offense. He only touched the ball one time last week. Like, he is not a part of what they want to do offensively. Maybe that changes. But it feels a lot like what they did to Le'Veon Bell. It feels a lot like what they did to LaShawn McCoy a couple of years ago where you were a part of their offense the first eight to ten weeks, and then once they started to kind of narrow it down and, hey, this is what we want to do. This is what we think we're going to do heading into the playoffs. We see who's in the circle and who's out the circle. And right now I think you'd have to say that McCoy Hartman, he is not in their circle of trust. Talking to Carrington Harrison out of 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City about the Chiefs. Follow him on Twitter at c.harrison. You've got it right here on ESPN. Des Moines, I'm Mike Wickett. Uh, the biggest moves in the offseason made by this Chiefs team, and it was obvious in the Super Bowl where the weakness was, was overhauling the offensive line. It doesn't feel like the improvement is all that much from last year's offensive line to this year's offensive line. Is that a major factor in the struggles of the offense? Uh, I disagree. I think it sort of is like, what are we comparing it to? Are we comparing it to the offensive line we saw in the Super Bowl? Then it's greatly improved. If we're comparing it to, let's say, the Week 5 offensive line for last year, I'd actually probably agree with that. I think they're about the same, but I think that offensive line is enough for you to do it. The one thing that I think is a little bit frustrating, and I don't know if we can – I don't know how much of it is the offensive line, how much of it is the running backs and what they have. This team still can't run the ball consistently. Like, they're not a team that you think if you give 25 carries that they're going to get, let's say, 110 yards rushing. That's just not the kind of team that they've been. So I've been kind of saying, I don't care who that third consistent offensive producer is at this point. It could be anybody. But with where we are in the season, that person is not coming from off the roster. You're not picking up somebody on waiver claims between now and the playoffs and thinking that that guy's going to be a major contributor for you. So this is everybody. We know the offense at this point. We know what Hill is. We know what Kelsey is. you got to get a little bit more home run power from Clyde Edwards-Alaire. you got to get a little bit more in the running game from Darrell Williams. you got to develop Josh Gordon, who has only touched the ball two times in the eight weeks that he's been here. you got to squeeze more production out of anybody else on that offensive roster. Carrington defensively, since that 27-3 embarrassment to Tennessee, they've given up the Chiefs have given up 17 to the Giants and then 7 to Jordan Love and the Packers and then 14 to the Raiders, 9 to Dak 
and then nine to the Broncos. They're, the defense is doing its job, as you said. What has changed since that embarrassment against the Tennessee Titans? A lot of times, man, football is very simple, man. It is a pass-rush game. That's really what it is. It's a line-of-scrimmage pass-rush game, and their defensive line has gotten exponentially better. Frank Clark is playing the best football that he's played in a Chiefs uniform. Jaron Reed has finally appeared for the Kansas City Chiefs. I think too much has been made about moving Chris Jones back to the inside. I'm not saying that it hasn't been a factor, but I think more than anything is Chris Jones is healthy. And I don't know if he was healthy the first part of the season. He missed three weeks. He's come back, and he's just played with the renewed energy. He just looks better than he looked the first four weeks of the season. And then the addition of Melvin Ingram. He's a player that I really wanted the Chiefs to pick up in the offseason. They didn't pick him up in the offseason. He went to the Steelers. They traded a sixth-round pick for him. It eventually ended up working out, but he has been an absolute breath of fresh air for the Kansas City Chiefs. You know when you like play basketball or you're outside and it's just like really hot and somebody hands you an Aquafina or Dasani and you take that first sip and it's just like, ah. That's what Melvin Ingram has been for the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> he, has been, he has been that cold glass of water on a hot day. <laughs> I, when that move happened, and you know I'm a Packers fan, I was like, man, Green Bay could have used him. I don't know if he would have fit, but I was surprised to see. And what I can't figure out is I know the Ravens, they traded the offensive lineman in the offseason to Kansas City. And now here's another AFC team making a trade, helping out Kansas City. I'm like, stop helping Mahomes. What are you guys doing? It, it didn't make any sense to me. Well, the, the Orlando Brown thing actually I think now makes a little bit more sense to me where I don't think Orlando Brown is going to be worth the contract that he's going to sign. Now, is he a left tackle that you would like to keep? Yes, he's a 25-year-old offensive lineman who has never missed a start and can play a solid left tackle. Is he going to be worth Trent Williams' money whenever it comes time to pay him? The answer is no. For Melvin Ingram, it just never really made any sense. We're talking about a guy where, let's say if you're Pittsburgh and you think he had a fourth of a tank left, you'd give him to the Kansas City Chiefs for a sixth-round draft pick? Like, why? why would you do that? It just never, ever made any sense. And it's funny you bring up the Packers. I think you can say that Kansas City probably made the move of the deadline. Like, I remember Green Bay got Whitney Merciless. The Rams obviously made their moves. They got Odell Beckham and Bob Miller. I would say the best addition we saw at the deadline was Kansas City going to pick up Melvin Ingram for that sixth-round pick. So he's just been, he's been everything that they needed. If they were going to move Chris Jones to the interior, they needed somebody on the outside that could get to the quarterback, and they found that person in Ingram. Kansas City's got the Raiders this weekend at Arrowhead. Then they go out and play the Chargers. That'll be a home game for Kansas City because the Chargers never play a home game. And then they've got the Steelers. But then a tough one at Cincinnati. And then they finish the season at the Broncos. How many wins do you see in these final five? That's a great question. I'm going to say that they lose one game down the stretch. I think they win next week against the Chargers because if you're telling me it's a must-win game in the AFC, I think you have to pick Kansas City to win that game. But it's just, I mean, they've already won five in a row. If they then end the season with five in a row, that's ten consecutive games. That's just really, really hard to do in the NFL, especially with how up and down the AFC is. I'm going to predict them to go 4-1 and down the stretch, and it feels to me like they lose a game to Pittsburgh, and we all think to ourselves, like, how did Pittsburgh win this game before they lose on the road to Cincinnati? So 
I'll go 4-1. They win 12 games. They're the three seed that no one wants to play in the AFC playoffs. Carrington, always appreciate it, my friend. Continued success. We'll talk again down the road. Of course, Mike. Always happy to come on with you, my man. Thanks for coming on. Carrington Harrison joining us from Kansas City on 610 Sports Radio. Follow him on Twitter at c.harrison. And uh, he also does a national show on CBS Sports Radio. So if you hear him wherever you may be over the weekend, that is c.dot right there. Yeah, the, the Chiefs are a funky team, man. They don't make a whole lot of sense considering what the expectation for Kansas City has been for the last three seasons with Patrick Mahomes there. You expect this team to score 45 and then the defense to be kind of a hit-and-miss thing. But that's not this team right now. That's not this version of the Kansas City Chiefs. The offense, as he was talking about, can't get anybody outside of Tyreek Hill and Kelsey to do anything. And, and I think he's right. If you can get anything out of Nicole Hardman, if you can get anything out of CEH, or if you can get anything out of anybody, Byron Pringle, the Chiefs can, can vault themselves right back to where the expectation under Reed with Mahomes usually is. I'll tell you what, though. I mean, the AFC is so wide open. And, and we'll talk more about this, I'm sure, down the, the road here. But like I asked him in the outset, tell me something you know for certain that you are certain of when it comes to the, uh, the AFC. I mean, does, even after the win, when they threw the ball three total times on Monday night, does anyone actually think that Mac Jones can win the Super Bowl? I mean, you say, well, Belichick, and they, they have a great game plan for him, and McDaniels doesn't ask him to do too much, and they run the ball, and they've got, like, the four-headed monster of running backs that, that New England always has. But can you really see that team winning a Super Bowl or getting to the AFC Championship outside of Belichick pedigree? The Bills are a Jekyll and Hyde. Their defense couldn't do – and I know that whole thing happened with Micah Hyde and the, the, the Bills' defense at the press conference, and they were just – they were so embarrassed by the question about being embarrassed on the field. And it was a legit question. Like, it was a legitimate question to ask, do you feel embarrassed by this effort? They said, well, we came up with stops. No, you didn't come up with stops. You never made stops. They were un- The Bills' defense is Swiss cheese against the run. And in those windy conditions, Josh Allen wasn't able to have a Josh Allen kind of night. The Chiefs just feel like a team that's just kind of hanging around, hanging around. You have expectations. You're like, they're going to be there at the end. I will not be surprised if the AFC champion is Kansas City, based on quarterback, based on coach, based on recent history as well. And after those three, be kind of like the Chargers, but Carrington's right. When have the Chargers ever been able to win big games? Never. <laughs> ever. Like Baltimore? And Baltimore's going to play Cleveland this weekend. The last time we saw Lamar, he threw four interceptions. So it's like, who, who out of the AFC can you, other than Kansas City, maybe Buffalo, maybe New England, maybe the Chiefs, who can you put your money on? I, I can't pick it. The, a, the NFC, you know. It, it's Packers, it's Bucks with Brady, it's probably the Rams, Cardinals, and if you, if you believe in Dak Prescott, it's the Cowboys. It's those five. You can have everybody else. <laughs> But in the AFC, it is so wide open, and the front runner is led by a rookie quarterback. It's craziness. Uh, last night in the NFL, we had a very, it was a very Viking-like game. We'll get to the Vikings and the Steelers. But first, we've got to talk about what Iowa and Iowa State did at Hilton up in Ames. That's next. 
Like ESPN Des Moines on Facebook and watch Wicket's World live in real time. This is 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. It's Wicket's World. My name is Mike Wicket. What's up? Happy Friday to you. Thanks so much for checking us out. And if you're streaming us, hello, including to my mother, who is streaming us on the ESPN Des Moines Facebook page. Yes, Kira, that's, it's totes adorbs. I know. My mother, my mom streams the show every week. <laughs> uh, so last night, major night in college basketball. We'll get to Iowa and Iowa State in one sec. But first, did you see what happened at the end of the Purdue-Rutgers game? Purdue scores with three seconds to go and then... Magic in Piscataway, New Jersey. I mean, the scene last night was crazy because that was number one Purdue going down to Rutgers last night. And for that to happen on that shot and the, who hits it if you're an nba fan you remember the name ron harper that was ron harper's kid ron harper jr hit the 40 footer from just inside half court to seal it and upset number one i mean how crazy was that game last night if you saw just the end which i'm not gonna lie i wasn't expecting that to be a game i didn't pay much attention to purdue at rutgers rutgers was four and four purdue was number one in the country but that's what makes college basketball so great is that you can have something like that go on. And that, that dude had like 30 and 11, Ron Harper's kid, Ron Harper Jr. last night uh, in the win. So now, is this going to be one of those college basketball seasons where um, we have nobody who wants to be number one? Gonzaga's been one. Duke's been one. Purdue's been one. And that's where we're at right now. Those are your three teams, and they've all lost, and we're not even to Christmas yet. So this means Baylor probably will be your number one, assuming Baylor doesn't lose before we get to the next poll. They play, ooh, they play Nova. I didn't know that. Nova. Number six, Villanova and Baylor are playing on Sunday. Ooh. Okay, you know what I'm doing on Sunday? Oh, man, it's going to be right in the middle of football. How do you do that? How do you? going to need some TVs, man. I need as many TVs as I have kids. I have three babies. Let's during nap time. So Baylor could be your new number one if they're able to beat number six, Villanova. If they lose, then it's probably going to be Duke again or whatever. But this could be one of those weird college basketball seasons where nobody wants to be number one in college basketball. Um, as number one goes down last night, Purdue. Up to Hilton real quick. Have to talk about what happened uh, a couple of days ago, probably a week ago. Remember, we, we were talking to Rob Howe from HawkeyeNation.com. We were previewing the Big Ten championship game. We were like, undefeated Iowa going on to play Purdue. They lost. All right. Okay, well, Iowa's going to regroup. Then they've got Illinois. Yeah, they lost. All right, maybe Iowa's not totally for real. I mean, their, their wins include Kansas City, North Carolina Central, Western Michigan, Alabama State, Portland State, and they did beat Virginia. Although we're finding out maybe this isn't a very good Virginia team. 
But they they got to seven and zero. Hey, seven and zero, seven and zero. But they've lost their last three, including last night when they got their ass kicked by Iowa State. Iowa State won 73-53. They dominated this game. And T.J. Otzelberger spoke afterwards. And we got to talk about T.J. after we hear from the head coach of the Iowa State Cyclones, who was thrilled with the performance of his guy, Isaiah Brockington. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, quite heroic. He set the tone defensively, uh, making it really hard on, you know, one of the better offensive players in the country to this point. Then on the other side, he makes his first nine field goals, ends up with 29 and 10. Not really sure what else he could do. You're happy for a young man like that. Because when he came into this program, he talked about what he was about and what impact he wanted to bring. And he's done all that and more. But it's the byproduct of how he works, his character, his integrity, his toughness, his will. Love the confidence he's playing with. Love the confidence his teammates have to keep going to him. But Isaiah Brockington's a pretty amazing young man, and and we saw that tonight. What he was able to do to Keegan Murray was keep him off the uh, the, the box score. 9.7 boards for Murray. And... I'll tell you what, a lot of, there are some times that we talk about football coaches or basketball coaches, and you're like, that's a perfect fit. I think Iowa basketball fans or Iowa football fans would say Kirk Ferentz is probably a perfect fit. Uh, I think Michigan fans, up until the last few years, would have said Jim Harbaugh is a perfect fit. Now that he's won going to the college football playoff, you look at Michigan fan, and Michigan fan's going to say Harbaugh is a perfect fit. You know, Urban Meyer made a perfect fit. Ohio guy going back to Ohio State. Ryan Day, kind of the same thing. I, I mean, I don't know if Matt Campbell is a perfect fit at Iowa State, although after the week of coach turnover that we have seen, maybe, he's, maybe he really does. Maybe he's fooling me. Maybe he does want to stay at Iowa State. I'm going to say this. T.J. Otzelberger might just be a damn perfect fit at Iowa State. What that guy has done... The way that that team plays in year one, this was a dog-ass team last year. They won two games. They hadn't won a Big 12 game in over a year, and they they were an embarrassment. They were a joke. I mean, you couldn't go to games because of COVID, but nobody would want to go to games to go watch that basketball program play. But what Otzelberger has done, the turnover, bringing in transfers, bringing in a guy like Brockington, instilling a toughness. You watched that team play last night? That team plays hard. Iowa State plays hard. They make everything difficult. And one of the things they do that Otzelberger talked about last night is they rebound. We talk quite a bit about that being something important tonight, but we've been in these a few times, and you hear me say over and over, it's ball pressure, it's rebounding effort, and it's ball toughness. Those have been our three. Those will continue to be our three. So rebounding effort is something we don't, we don't just talk about. We emphasize about. We, as we practice, we live out. And to get 21 offensive boards is pretty tremendous, you know, to out-rebound by 18, especially when the majority of the game we're playing four guards. You know, our for big stretches in the game, we're playing four guards. And then there's a long stretch where Condit's out, and we're playing Kuntz at the five. And so, like, it just speaks to the competitive spirit of our guys because it's not, it's not like we got a bunch of 6'10 guys out there. It's just a bunch of guards flying around, giving everything they have, and competing on the glass for each other. And the dude loves being in Ames. The guy, you can just, you look at him when he got the job, you could just feel the energy on Anselberger's face. You can just see him on the sideline. You can see him in the postgame, especially because they're winning. They're undefeated. Nobody would have expected Iowa State, this Iowa State team, after what last year's Iowa State team, nobody expected the Cyclones to be 9-0. They're pre- they're right now, they're 17th in the country. They're going to move up a couple of spots, assuming 
you know, between now and the next poll, that they don't lose any basketball games. What do they got next? Uh, Jackson State. They should beat Jackson State. I don't know anything about Jackson State. Another two and six. That's all I got. Uh, this is a squad that should wind up being, what, 9 and 0, 10 and 0, 11 and 0. They got CLU coming up after that, Southeast Louisiana, then Chicago State, and then the Big 12 starts. I mean, they should be, what, 9, 10, 11, 12 and 0 by the time they get to the Big 12. And they open with Baylor. Who could be the number one team in the nation three days from now? Who knows? I mean, if this isn't, I mean, this is your early, not just Big 12 Coach of the Year, but this is your early National Coach of the Year right here. T.J. Otzelberger in year one for what he's been able to do. And he gives a lot of credit to the energy of, his, of, his, of the fans, of his team, and to that wonderful two-word phrase that every Iowa State fan loves to hear, Hilton Magic. We talked about those first few possessions, how pivotal they're going to be on our court because we impose our will, the crowd gets into the game, and um, that's the beauty um, of Hilton Magic. It's everybody working together. It's the fans, it's, it's the players, it's the energy that we feed off of. So uh, fortunately, our guys stepped up right away and imposed their will. And uh, again, it was the defense and the rebounding that led to everything else going well. They, else. they blew them out. I mean, it was... It, it, it was a team playing at one speed and another team playing at another speed. And I know Iowa lost a ton. They lost so much talent off that team. They don't have anybody yet. I mean, Keegan Murray might have been a hidden gem, but he got nullified by, by, by Brockington last night. I don't have any expectation of Jordan Bohannon to do anything to lead a basketball team, you know, to get you 35. That's just not a, not a thing. This is a very young team. Iowa is a couple of years away from competing for another Big Ten championship. Whereas you look at Iowa State, I don't know if they're going to compete for the Big 12. But they're not a bottom feeder in the Big 12 this year like they were last year. I mean, you could see them maybe four, five when we get to the Big, Ten, the Big 12 tournament down in Kansas City when they go to Hilton South. You can see that if they keep playing this way, they're going to wind up with a lot of wins. And last night in the Cyhawk game, it was pretty, pretty uh, apparent which team is ready to take another step way ahead of expectation, and which team is in a rebuild mode and not quite there yet. And that was Iowa. Meanwhile, Iowa State, dominant, now 9-0. and Flipping gears, going back to the National Football League, what we saw last night was an embarrassment by one player. He's not the reason they lost, but he sure as hell didn't help his team win. And we're going to hear from Paul Allen, the voice of the Vikings. He was in a good mood last night. That's next. You're listening to Wicket's World on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Happy Friday. This is Wicket's World. I'm Mike Wicket. If you missed anything, you can podcast it. ESPNDesMoines.com. Coming up this weekend... We've got some Drake basketball for you Saturday and Sunday. Uh, the Drake men take on Clemson tomorrow at 1 o'clock. Michael Admire has the call at 12.30 here on ESPN Des Moines. And then on Sunday, the Drake women take on Northern Illinois. Hunter Phillips has the call. Coverage starts at 1.30 right here on ESPN Des Moines. So last night, entertaining football game. Didn't seem it was going to be that way between the Vikings and the Steelers. Uh, the first half, an absolutely dominant performance by Minnesota. Uh, Dalvin Cook, who hurt his shoulder so badly 
11 days ago, people thought, nope, there's no way he's going to be out any less than two or three weeks. Well, guess what? Dalvin Cook, who apparently was sitting watching his buddies play without him in that loss last weekend to the, Den- uh, to the Detroit Lions, said, I got to play. And he shocked the world and had over 200 yards rushing. He had two touchdowns in this football game. He was fantastic. Most of the damage coming in the first half. I mean, there was 29 to nothing at one point in this game. Pittsburgh had 66 total yards of offense in the first half. This was a dominant performance. And I'm not sure what the big adjustment was or the lack of adjustment was by Minnesota, but Pittsburgh came all the way back. And this is what separates, I think, Minnesota from, from, from being a real contender. The Vikings have a ton of talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You know that. Cousins, say what you want, the dude can't win a big game, but his numbers are fantastic. His touchdown-to-interception ratio is the best in the league. He's going to throw for over 4,000 yards this year. He's going to a, a, he's gonna throw a bunch of touchdowns to Justin Jefferson. Adam Thielen went healthy. He's not right now. He missed the game last night. That's one of the best one-two combos in the NFL. Jefferson, I think, is going to be a thorn in the side of the NFC North for, you know, five, six, seven years. He's going to be great. Dalvin Cook, when he's healthy, you saw he's a monster. When Dalvin Cook's healthy, he's one of the best running backs in the National Football League. You know, McCaffrey healthy, uh, Derrick Henry healthy, Kamara healthy, Dalvin Cook healthy. I mean, that, that dude is so dangerous in the backfield, whether he's getting the ball in his belly or they're, they're throwing it to him on the outside. All those weapons. But there's just something about Minnesota defensively on the offensive line, coaching, whatever it is, a lack of killer instinct. I, I don't know. But that's what everybody's got playmakers. The Vikings have playmakers. The Packers have playmakers. The Chiefs have playmakers. The Bills have playmakers. The Chargers have tons of playmakers. The Vikings are a lot like the Chargers, where they have all these playmakers, but you're wondering, why can't they seem to put it all together? You know, the, the, the Chargers have Bosa and Derwin James on defense. Harrison Smith is there. Anthony Barr is there for the Vikings. They got all the wide receivers and Keenan Allen and Michael Williams. And you, know, you got Jefferson and Thielen and the talented running back with Cook and Eckler. The Chargers and Vikings are very similar. They have all these weapons, but you just, you're like, what? And, and I think Herbert's going to be a superstar in this league. But there's sometimes when you watch Herbert play and you're like, why is he only thrown for 168 yards through three and a half quarters? And he's got two picks. How in the hell does that happen with all these, these players? You know, Conklin's a good tight end. Jared Cook's a good tight end. But they just can't seem to, to, to keep it together, make the right play, not make the mistake, and close. I mean, it was 29 nothing, And it came down to the final play. All right? Final play in this one just to seal it for Minnesota. Goes back to pass. Ben to the end zone, and it's dropped! Friar Moose had it, and then he was blasted by a couple of Vikings in tandem, and the Minnesota Vikings have beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers on the final play of the game. 36-28, Minnesota. We got victory number six. Paul Allen, one of the most animated play-by-play men in all of the National Football League on the call again, 36-28 from the Minnesota Vikings radio network. And it took a big defensive play. I mean, you go back and watch that final play. Big Ben, who looked terrible for most of this game, Big Ben threaded that needle. 
there were three defenders, and he threw to Friermuth, ran a great route, and he hit Friermuth in the hands, the rookie tight end. And as Paul Allen described, they knocked the ball out of Friermuth's hands. Vikings win. Now, previously before that play, there's a very controversial play going on or being discussed right now, and it was on fourth and one, and Big Ben hit Chase Claypool. And Chase Claypool, um, well, he went down. He got the first down, but then he decided he was going to celebrate. Pass caught by Claypool, first down, clock running. And it may come one, up and clock it now. Two, there he goes. Three, four. They got it. Now the ball, they, five, they, they can't get the ball to the official. Six, He's trying to scramble to get it seven, set. Eight, nine, ten. And that stops the clock with 24 seconds remaining. Joe Buck, Troy Aikman on Fox. That should have been about a four-second play. It turned into about a 12-second play, including the play of time when the ball was actually snapped. Because what you don't hear, or you can't see when you hear that, is Claypool gets the first down and then has to point. And he has to let the whole world know that he got a first down as the clock is expiring. This was with 36 seconds to go in a game that could probably break your season. And Claypool decided he was going to celebrate the first down. Not the touchdown, the first down in a game they are losing. And he was asked about that afterwards. Why celebrate the first down there? late? obviously cost your team a few seconds. Yeah, um, you know, definitely got to be better. Uh, I got tackled near the hash, did my little first down point, and uh. Uh, went to hand the ball to the ref. He, he had just got there. Um, so even if I got right up and looked for him, he just wasn't there. So he, he ran down the field to come get the ball, and the ball got knocked out of my hands. That's what cost it this time. Um, mm. But I definitely do have to be better. Uh, I knew the situation. I knew, you know, I know I'm near the hash. I know the ball's placed on the hash, but I got to be better. Do you want to know the right answer to that question? The right answer to that question is I screwed up. I, sh- I got caught up in the moment, and I celebrated. It won't happen again. That's what the answer should have been. That is the easy answer. Take blame, own it, and stop bringing attention to the fact that you celebrated a first down in a game you were losing and cost your team at least five seconds and maybe more. Because you know what? They still could have had another shot into the end zone. If, if Claypool gets up, goes over to the official, instead of celebrating and then turning and looking, and one of his guys came over to try to get the football from him. Ryan Clark, who used to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers, was on ESPN's Get Up, and he did not mince words this morning. Chase Claypool is as mentally and emotionally underdeveloped as he is physically overdeveloped. This is a dude that has all the things you need from a physical standpoint to be a superstar wide receiver. He has a remedial level mental understanding of what it is to be a football player, of what it is to be a good teammate, of what it is to be a winner. You heard what he said. After he got the first down, he did my thing. 
At that point, it's not about my thing. It's, it's about when you watch a guy like Larry Fitzgerald, who's one of the greatest wide receivers of all time, sprint faster to give the ball back to the referee and put it on the hash than he did to catch the football. It's about our thing that when I make the mistake, when I do my first down point, I don't talk about Trey Turner, who is trying to do the right thing and get the football out of my hand, bring it to the hash and give it to the referee. I don't talk about him knocking the ball out of my hand and that being why I did not get the ball to the referee. No, you weren't looking for the referee. No, you weren't looking for the hash. You weren't attempting to get the football to the referee and have it placed where it needed to be in order for you to get the ball and have one extra play after Fryer Muth gets the football knocked out of his hand by Harrison Smith. That's what's wrong with this team. No accountability. No thumbs pointing at me to say I'm the reason. Well, I'm going to tell him, Chase Claypool, that's on you. That's your problem. Just like the personal foul in the first quarter, just like the personal foul late in the game against the Cincinnati Bengals. He only cares about himself, and that self-centeredness is part of what's bringing the Pittsburgh Steelers team and organization mm. down. It's Ryan Clark on ESPN on Get Up this morning. Some harsh words for Chase Claypool, who's in his second year in the NFL. Young guy, immature, obviously. Uh, that's something he's going to have to work on. Plaxico Burris, Antonio Brown. They got some real immaturity issues at the wide receiver spot over there in Pittsburgh. Meanwhile, the Vikings pick up a win. They're not dead. They're 6-7. and seven. They go to the Bears next week. They got a tough one at home against the Rams, but... The Rams have not been the world beaters we expected them to be. Then they're at the Packers, and then they come back home and finish the season up against Chicago. Minnesota's still in the playoff hunt. Still in the playoff hunt. Pittsburgh may be dead, but the AFC is so strange and weird. Who has any idea? Coming up, the coaching carousel keeps on turning in college football. I want to make fun of Brian Kelly. We're going to do that because this guy from Boston all of a sudden developed himself an accent. Are you kidding me? Plus, Matt Campbell shoves it in my face. That's next. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. One zero two one FM and thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines. I'm Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. So the college football coaching carousel continues as uh, we are finding out. More and more coaches taking all these jobs, the ones we know about. So, all right. I'll run through the couple that we, we already know. Oh, Lincoln Riley to USC, great hire. I mean, USC needed to make a splash. They needed a guy who was going to transform things. He's a great recruiter. He already had that great class that had so many players out of California. Decommit from Oklahoma. Shocking where they're going to wind up, I think. Mario Cristobal goes from Oregon down to Miami. Everyone always knew that was his dream job. What I don't, and I never have a problem with coaches leaving. I think I said that last week. I don't have any issue with coaches leaving. And the reason that they do it right away, the reason that Lincoln Riley and Cristobal and all these coaches have made all these moves so, you know, right out of the gate is because we got National Signing Day. The early period starts in, what, five days? December 15th? And so you have to get in front of recruits who may be wavering if your coach left. Like, you know, if you're Brian Kelly, who's taking the job at LSU, you got to get in front of LSU coaches. And you got to get in front of LSU players. And you got to get in front of high school players that, are gonna, that have already committed but haven't signed anything that are 
potentially going to go to LSU. And you have to convince them that I know you went with Ed Orgeron, but I'm, I'm the new guy. We're going to win. We want you to stay with LSU. Well, their number one quarterback and tight end are both gone at, at, at LSU, so that did not work. So that's the reason this has to happen so fast. It feels dirty. It feels ugly, especially in Notre Dame's case when Brian Kelly left, not knowing if Notre Dame was going to make the college football playoff. There was still an outside shot that they could make the playoff, and he would not have been there as their head coach. He went down to Baton Rouge. Speaking of Brian Kelly, do we have that cut of Brian? Okay, so if you haven't heard it, Brian Kelly, a dude from Massachusetts who spent coaching, who spent time coaching in Central Michigan, Cincinnati, and Notre Dame, when he spoke to the LSU basketball crowd earlier this week, out of nowhere, Brian Kelly developed a southern accent. Well, that's the favorite. Be a oh God! I'm here with my family, and we are so excited to be in the great state of Louisiana, but more importantly, to be with you, great fans, and to be part of an incredible ride here at Louisiana State University. My family. That's how you know it's fake. Yeah. Because he's saying Louisiana. Louisiana and my family. The dude's from Massachusetts. <laughs> All right. The only time he's been in Louisiana is to play bowl games. And you didn't hear him with the Louisiana. It's great to be here at this bowl game in Louisiana. That is the fakest bunch of crap. I think Brian Kelly's a snake. I think Brian Kelly's going to win a lot of football games because at LSU, he's finally going to have the ability to recruit top-tier talent and not have to work about, worry about these things called academic standards because they don't have any at LSU. Can you pass a blood test? Yes. Can you catch a football? Yes. You're in. That's it. Meanwhile, at Notre Dame, he could recruit top-tier talent, but getting those kids to qualify and getting those kids in at Notre Dame took away from some of the top-tier talent. He couldn't get the top-tier talent. Now, LSU is one of the best states to recruit high school players out of he doesn't have to worry about standards that are way up here because it's the SEC, and they don't care about standards in the SEC. It's the South. Football is all that matters. So the coaching carousel keeps on spinning. Venables from Clemson's staff, he's going to take over for Lincoln Riley. Marcus Freeman, defensive coordinator under Kelly at Notre Dame, takes over in South Bend. Uh, that's his first coaching job, which is amazing. Your very first head coaching job is Notre Dame. Wowza. And his very first game will be in a bowl game, <laughs> which is pretty impressive. Mario Cristobal goes to Miami. There's talk of, of getting Brian Kelly out of UCLA, back up into Eugene, Oregon. Can't really... Remember, that Oregon team, those Brian Kelly teams played very, very fast. Watch UCLA play. They play very slow. It's not the same run 90 plays a game offense where Brian Kelly had so much success when he was the head coach up at Eugene. And meanwhile, here I am thinking, boy, Matt Campbell fits in at Notre Dame well. Matt Campbell fits in at Oklahoma well. Nope. Matt Campbell fits in at Iowa State well. Proving me wrong once again. Maybe, just maybe, he's not lying. Maybe, just maybe, because I thought if he couldn't get it done with this team, this was Matt Campbell's year to leave. But maybe, just maybe, he's trying to do... Everything he can to make Iowa State a power. 
Well, you can't start preseason number seven and not win your conference championship or even play for it, Matt. And stop making me look like an idiot. I do that en- enough on my own. Thanks to Carrington Harrison for joining me. Missed anything? Podcast at ESPNDesMoines.com. Thanks to Kara for keeping us on the air. Have yourself a great weekend. We'll do it again next week here on ESPN Des Moines.